Welcome to Therapeutic Perspective Podcast. Our mission is to bring you current mental health information directly relevant to your clinical practice through engaging interviews with varied specialty experts. My name is Shonda Morales. As a licensed clinical social worker in private practice in the Northeast for over two decades, I know how important continuing education is, not only for professional growth and burnout prevention, but for our own personal self-care and sense of empowerment as well. Therapeutic Perspective is a continuing education provider, so stay tuned until the end of the show to learn how you can obtain NBCC continuing education credit hours for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. So welcome to Therapeutic Perspective Podcast. I am here with Sarah Dennehy and Melanie Smith from Shanti Project. Sarah Dennehy is the Director of Programs of Shanti Project. She is a licensed behavior specialist with a master's in special education and a certified mindfulness and yoga teacher for children and adults. Sarah oversees community programs offered in 230 public school classrooms, as well as trauma-informed mindfulness and yoga taught inside our local county juvenile justice system. Melanie Smith is Shanta, Shanti Project's senior teacher and trainer. Melanie holds many mindfulness and yoga certifications. In addition to leading trauma-informed mindfulness and yoga for Shanti Project, Melanie has taught studio-based yoga classes, workshops, domestic and global retreats, and stand-up paddleboard yoga teacher trainings. She has a decade of experience as a family service specialist for New Jersey Department of Children and Families, specializing in trauma, child welfare, family reunification, and adoption cases. So welcome to you both. And let's start, dive in with who you are and tell us a little bit about the why behind your work. And I'm not sure who wants to go first. Um, I'll start. Sarah. Um, So my why, um, I've been working with kids with autism, ADHD, anxiety for many years. Uh, And about 10 years ago, I started my own meditation practice. So, um, you know, I was finding so many benefits from it. And when I went into work, I was thinking, you know, how can I... Uh, give this, you know, feeling or, uh, you know, all the all the good stuff that's coming from my meditation practice, how can I um, teach that to the kids that I work with. So um, I went home and I just googled meditation for kids. And I had no idea that um, you could become a kids mindfulness teacher, a kids yoga teacher. So I signed up for um, a a kids yoga certification uh, training program. And after I signed up, I was thinking, well, I should probably uh, start practicing yoga. Um, I had tried it before, and it just wasn't, it wasn't for me. Um, my husband was um, taking a class, and so he encouraged me to, you know, take the class. And uh, Melanie happened to be the teacher <laughs> of that class. And um, I guess, you know, what they say is true that, you know, you need to have the right teacher for it to click. And um, I haven't looked back. So um, since then, you know, I got the certification. Um, I ended up getting uh, my adult yoga certificate teacher training certification. Um, And I started right away working with kids um, and, you know, yoga and mindfulness. Then I found Shanti Project again through Melanie. (laughs) Um, I took her out for coffee one day. I said, tell me all about Shanti Project and how I can be a part of it. Um, So I started teaching in the classrooms and then um, about a year later became director of programs. Um, Yeah. And it's it's really been life changing. Wonderful. And so reminder for all of us that it's worth giving yoga or anything new really more than one try. Yeah. Because you never know. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had so many people say, I've, you know, I've tried to meditate or I've tried to do yoga and it's not for me. So, absolutely. Yeah, yep, yeah. Absolutely good. So, yeah, maybe give it like three tries. I think that's what it took me. So. <laughs> or three. Yes. <laughs> and you, Melanie. Yeah. So um, my name is Melanie Smith and I am a 500 hour yoga teacher, uh, trainer, um, mindfulness teacher, um, 
stand-up paddleboarder, um, nature lover. When I go to my why uh, about um, teaching for Shanti and also for um, practicing mindfulness and using that as a form of therapy in my life is because when I was working for the state of New Jersey, I had hit a point of total burnout um, that, you know, just the compassion fatigue, vicarious trauma, burnout, like all three of those, I hit all three of those marks. Mm. And during that time, I did have a regular yoga practice and I would get on my mat and that was probably the best place that I felt. And it really wasn't the physical yoga poses. It was the feeling after the practice that like I'm in Shavasana or I'm sitting up and I'm, you know, taking a few mindful moments before I moved on to whatever else my day held. And that was the best feeling, Um, just complete kind of like for me, I can only ever speak for myself, a complete like wholeness, like, okay, I'm back in my body. I'm back to grounded reconnection. And um, so I, I, at that time, had connected with Denise Bears. And Denise was the founder of Shanti Project and kind of told her what I was doing. And um, I should say that I was also wanting to be a yoga teacher. Mm. Like I wanted to teach what I was experiencing. And um, I did my 200 hour teacher training and I started to teach. And then I met Denise and we spoke a lot about my work. And she said, I can totally, you know, bring you on and and you would be a great fit. And so I started teaching in the Northampton County prison. Um, We did one of a a pilot program uh, in the Phillipsburg school district um, with some uh, very challenging kids. Um, that classroom was like a big eye opener about, you know, just going in and, and trying to share these practices that it might not always go the way that you planned or had hoped. Um, but that, that connection with Denise and that, um, feeling of, of, I want to share this, um, always comes back to my why. And, Like Sarah said, and you said, um, you know, it may take like one, two, three tries. uh, But I feel like uh, when you're, how do I want to say it? Uh, When you're in the right space, when you're open to it, that's maybe when it's going to happen. So I I wanted to be able to implement this stuff um, within the state of New Jersey, like seeing our clients and seeing our families, you could see the history of trauma, the generational trauma, and wanting to apply that there. And I don't think when I was there with the state, we were ready for that yet. And so me just feeling frustrated, like um, I want to be able to do this with the people that I'm working with, but um, it just wasn't the time. So working more with Shanti Project is a great way uh, to implement these practices and to and to help so yeah. I think like long why no <laughs> yeah absolutely all good <laughs> and I think you know ultimately it's about you have this felt sense of what mindfulness or, or meditation has done or yoga practice for what it feels like for each of us and then you want other people to have that feeling as well and it's it is hard to describe it's hard to articulate mm-hmm. um so yeah hopefully planting seeds and people are at some point open to it So let's review the basics. Uh, What is trauma-informed mindfulness? So let's start with mindfulness. The definition of mindfulness uh, means paying attention to the present moment. And um, when we're we're in the present moment, um, we're more aware of how we're feeling, you know, the thoughts we're having, the physical sensations, and that allows us to respond rather than just automatically react to what's going on inside of us and around us. So, um, you know, we're, we're better able to pause and self-regulate when we realize that we need to, when we realize we're a little dysregulated. Um, so we practice mindfulness um, by focusing on the present moment. And Um, One of the ways we might practice mindfulness is just to focus on the breath. So just, you know, sitting still, focusing on the inhale, on the exhale. And, you know, that just sounds simple, um, you know, and not not really a big deal. But um, that can actually be 
traumatizing for some. Just um, focusing on the breath can actually be a re-traumatization for some people. So um, it it can it can like intensify feelings um, that they might have been experiencing. Uh, during a trauma or focused around, um, you know, a past trauma. So when we're trauma-informed, or we also call it trauma-sensitive, we have an understanding of trauma, and we can therefore do our best to recognize um, if someone is experiencing trauma and then respond to it. Um, And we can also take precautions um, as we're teaching or as we're, you know, practicing, um, we can take precautions with our language, um, our mannerisms, um, the strategies that we use, um, just basically how we teach. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, we, we're striving to set up a safe, as safe as we can environment for those around us. Of course, you know, we, we can't be 100% prepared. We don't know everyone's traumas and what they're coming in with, but um, at least we can recognize a re-traumatization and, and be able to respond to it. Mm-hmm. And sort of coming in, I would assume, uh, assuming that some children or some people in the room likely will have some trauma. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sort of just kind of on the lookout for when it does show up. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk now about uh, what some of those symptoms might look like or symptoms, what some of the, what that might look like um, that maybe we don't always think about? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So like the different responses that we might see, we we hear about the fight or flight response. um, So we can kind of get used to, you know, what that might look like for some people. So um, with the fight response, you might have the, you know, like tight Mm -hmm. clenched muscles and, um, you know, just a scowl and pressured speech and just like an aggressive sort of (laughs) state. Um, And it can also look like, you know, just the punching, kicking, hitting, you know, um, stomping. Um, Flight is more of, you know, kind of like eyes are darting around the room, um, fidgety, uh, maybe stimming, like self-stimulatory behaviors. Um, Like these people, these kids feel like feel trapped. Mm. Um, And and that's really what it is that fight or flight um, is is that you're like you're in this hypervigilant state. You're on the lookout for danger and you're expecting danger at any time. Um, And that could also look like a freeze response, which, you know, we'll say is just kind of like a shutdown response. So um, you might see kids actually going under tables, um, sitting in the corner, not responding, um, kind of just shutting everyone out, not talking. Uh, They don't want to look at anyone. Um, And there's also um, a response called the fawn response. Mm -hmm. And that's um, kids who are kind of like the the pleasers, Mm -hmm. Uh, kids or anyone really, Mm -hmm. Uh, people pleasers, don't ever want to say no, really don't have boundaries. Um, They apologize Mm -hmm. a lot. Um, and, you know, just become ev- easily overwhelmed. So um, this is these are some of the things, um, you know, just to be, kind of be on the lookout for now. Having said that, someone might have just had a bad day and or <laughs> just might be in a bad mood or, you know, and um, but, um, you know, especially if you're seeing these kids on a um regular basis, you can kind of see patterns and um, maybe, you know, certain times of day or, and you can start to understand maybe what might be triggering Mm -hmm. for that specific child. Mm -hmm. So tell me more about the fawn response, because um, that probably is hard to distinguish between, you know, your sort of model student that, you know, you're kind of, as the teacher, yay, (laughs) this is somebody who's into it or listening or, and so what's the difference? How can you tell? So it it might be, um, like you said, it might be hard to kind of figure out at first, but if you see patterns where a child is doing everything they can to please somebody else Mm -hmm. and to their detriment, Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, they always want to be the good kid or the nice kid. And, you know, they're not really, it's not really, um, equal or, yeah. or shared, uh, a relationship, um, you know, then you can see, you start to notice that pattern. 
um, you know, you're not going to, if upon meeting a child for the first time, realize what's going on or just assume that's what's going on. But over time, you can probably see that, you know, they're, they're not getting anything out of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Thanks. Yeah. So who is trauma-informed or trauma-sensitive mindfulness for? Yeah, so um, it's for everyone. Um, I think the way that uh, you approach it, the the languaging that you use um, is vitally important. So as a, a therapist, as a teacher, as an educator, um, as a coach for a sports team, um, that might be a great place. Uh, individuals who are um, working in juvenile treatment or in the prisons, um, I think it's really, you know, if you're interacting with other individuals in in a a dynamic where there's a over under power dynamic um being aware of of being trauma sensitive and trauma informed is vitally important because like we just said you don't know how you're going to trigger people or how people are going to respond so the more um aware you are of the way that you're presenting your languaging um your vocal tones is another one um and just how you're presenting yourself. Uh, if you're domineering and coming into a situation where I know best, mm. you know, you're you're going to start to impact quite a few people around you. So that that trauma informed uh, trauma sensitive is, is important for anyone, I, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So and I guess what I'm hearing with that is the mindfulness attitude of curiosity and mm-hmm. sort of openness and trying to really understand coming with my sense of, hmm, I'm curious about this. I don't know the answer to this just because there's this behavior. I'm not going to assume it's um, defiance or unwillingness. It could be many things. And let me just reserve judgment sort of as best I can. Yeah. I, I think about like a lot of times when we would go into a classroom and you're you're seeing the kids twice a week for 20 minutes um, for eight weeks and you may have kids who are giving off those different responses. You may have kids who are super into it. But over time, you start to realize, like, you know, not every child appreciates quiet. Quiet to them may signal danger or that something is, is looming around the corner. So a, a quiet classroom where um, no one's making a sound, our, our eyes are closed, um, or and you're trying to sit and breathe, that may be, even for me, that sounds glorious. <laughs> but for a child who is in a home where that signals danger, that that re-traumatization is happening right then and there. Mm-hmm. So to be aware of that is very important in those subtleties. I think the, the trauma-informed, trauma-sensitive is very subtle mm. um, in how we work with it. So what are some possible effects of trauma, especially these symptoms and behaviors that are often overlooked? We talked about some of these. Are there any more? Um, I mean, obviously, there are probably are a whole laundry list of effects and symptoms that will show up with trauma. Anything else? Go ahead. I was just yeah. gonna say um, they show up differently for everyone, yeah. and um, and we might see, you know, we'll see evidence of a child who's been triggered in their response, fight, flight, or freeze, or whatever it is, like we just discussed. Um, but for example, think about ADHD and um, like the symptoms that you might see in a child who's been diagnosed with ADHD. They're fidgety. They're kind of looking around the room. They're having a really hard time sitting still, or even just sitting. Um, and, you know, we might just give them a fidget toy and, you know, put them on a point system and, you know, they, they'll have an IEP or, or something like that. And, and, um, not that we aren't, you know, supporting that child, but we may not be looking at the correct, you know, the, the root Mm. of the issue. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times kids will, um, be misdiagnosed or just labeled, as a bad kid with behavioral issues Mm. but this is due to circumstances beyond their control like that are that are rooted in Mm -hmm. their childhood trauma so they are trying to survive because all of those fight flight freeze those are survival modes that is our that's a response you know our brain is responding and putting us into survival mode um and when you know, just a quick brain lesson when the amygdala is activated and puts us in that fight or flight, the prefrontal cortex kind of goes offline. And that's where we do our thinking and our reasoning. 
Um, so if that's not working, then I'm not able to sit and learn. I'm not able to, uh, you know, retain information. I'm not able to do what is expected of me in the classroom. In the classroom. So, um, you know, and I'm going to get in trouble for that. Um, which, you know, is kind of crazy because I'm just, I'm just trying to survive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I was going to say, even the hippocampus, kind of, we relate that to the kids as that's the library of your brain. And when that, that amygdala is firing, that prefrontal cortex has gone offline, um, it's harder to access that information that's in your hippocampus, your memories. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about like, your times tables and, you know, adding and subtracting and how kids are learning that, you know, just vocab words, those things become harder to access when they're in trauma response or in survival mode. Yeah. So when a teacher or a parent or anyone is saying, we just talked about that, Mm -hmm. or we just, the same thing happened yesterday. Why are, you know, how are you not learning? It's because, well, I'm incapable of really retaining that or remembering that or or thinking through that logically Mm -hmm. um, because I'm in in, um, survival mode. So those impulsive behaviors happen, you know, it looks impulsive to us, but again, it's a response. Mm -hmm. And then just how you were saying that, like you think about you know, and, and the no fault of the teacher, the educator, mm-hmm. the parent, right? But um, just with that context, there comes shame and blame and guilt. And then, you know, that kind of layers the cake on of how a child may already be just trying to survive day in and day out and going to school may become very tedious or going home or doing activity may become twice as hard Mm -hmm. and so if you have kids who are doing activities and they're pushing back on I don't want to go today I think that's worthy of a conversation also well what about it you know why not Mm -hmm. so a lot of like um you know like high functioning anxiety or like you know kids who are when you were talking about fawn, you know, like the the striving, the I've got to be the top mm. this and the top that, you know, how come? Right. Where is that coming from? Right. That's know? what I was thinking, too, talking about, you know, with the, the brain, how it, it mimics. It's the same situation with mental health, anxiety, depression, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's it's all mm-hmm. of that. It can look trauma it can, I mean, it can look like trauma. It could be anxiety. And it's exhausting to be in survival mode too, right? So like to mm-hmm. your point, Melanie, it's exhausting and then there's nothing left, you know, at the end yep. of the school day or part of the school day. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Which comes back to as adults, the, when we know, <laughs> the more that we can be uh, mindful and have this own practice that we can come to because it is not easy for teachers or therapists or any of us working with kids who are exhibiting these behaviors. And if we come and we're exhausted and we're stressed out and we have no capacity left, then we are yeah. barking and then we're perpetuating this. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's up to us too, to try exactly. to. Yeah, that co-regulation piece mm-hmm. of it as well. Like, you know, you're mirroring what you want to, what you get back. Mm-hmm. Um, so in those moments where we're feeling max capacity as adults and through mindfulness, you know, like learning, okay, I need to take a step back. And I need to put that pause. And then I can start to share that outwardly with others around me. Yeah. So we can, can we talk about that a little bit? Co-regulation and maybe specifically mm-hmm. for mental health professionals who are listening. Um, I mean, it could be also parents. It applies to any of us. But mm-hmm. what would you recommend when it comes to how do we co-regulate? What are some simple tools or steps we can take to do that if we are feeling flooded or even just a little bit tweaked, for mm-hmm. lack of a better word? <laughs> Yeah, so um, just that's where the mindfulness practice comes in. We we practice mindfulness when we're feeling calm and regulated, and you know, in the hopes that when we are feeling a little triggered or dysregulated, you know, we can draw on our experience and and bring ourselves into a calmer state. So um, recognizing that you've been triggered. Um, I, you know, super important, we, we might find ourselves yelling or, um, you know, saying something we wished we hadn't, and and then we were feeling shame and guilt, and why did I behave that way? So just sort of understanding patterns of when you're interacting with kids, um, 
what what kind what upsets you um what kinds of things sort of uh, create dysregulation for you, um, understanding those patterns, knowing what your triggers are, and then sort of having a plan. Okay, so um, I know usually about this time of day, you know, kids are starting to get a little, you know, tired and whiny, and, and then I can feel it in myself as well. So at that point, you know, maybe, you know, sit, take a few breaths, maybe pause before, you know, to help myself to be able to pause before, um, you know, just automatically reacting. Um, and, you know, just taking a few breaths, what do, what do I want to see out of, you know, the child I'm working with, or the child that I'm living with right now, you know, what kind of behaviors, and then model those behaviors, as Melanie was saying. So, um, you know, just if a kid is kind of dysregulated, you're not going to say to them, okay, go take some breaths or just calm down and relax and you're going to do it. So Mm -hmm. you just start to take some slow breaths, um, you know, recognize the thoughts that are going through your head, you know, where am I holding uh, tension right now? You know, relax your shoulders, relax your jaw, um, you know, breathe or just, you know, some type of mindful, a strategy that you know helps you feel more regulated. Um, and then um, as you start to feel calmer and better, then, you know, the kids around you are going to respond to that. That's the co-regulation piece. So, um, you know, without words and without explicit instructions that they're not going to listen to anyway, because they're just mm-hmm. not in the headspace to receive it you're able to, you know, get them to a place where maybe you can just pause and, um, you know, then you can model a few breaths that you've taken with them, you know, snake breath or bunny breath or, you know, something like that. Um, or, or some other strategies, you know, that um, you use to connect um, and get them to a space where they, they're, you know, they're a little more regulated. And then you can talk through um, anything that you need to. Yeah. And for us at Shanti Project, whenever we're starting a, a program um, with adults or training or, or with our um, in-house staff, we always start with a practice. And you experienced mm-hmm. that um, during the trauma training, mm-hmm. um, that that's how we like to begin. That's how we begin any presentation um, out in, in the public is that we're going to start with this experiential practice because one, however it took me to get here or to get there, uh, maybe I need a moment to ground and to connect myself before I start to try and engage and present material. So if I'm grounded and connected and mm-hmm. then I'm ready, like my whole headspace is ready. My physical body is ready. I'm, I'm showing up in full present focus mindset. Um, and so that like for adults is a great way to, to co-regulate um, with a larger, you know, larger audience or, or just one-on-one if you're doing a therapy session, mm-hmm. like can you start out with, okay, we're just going to, we're going to scan the body really yep. quickly, you know, even just, um, you know, breathe in, breathe out, like that visceral feeling mm. of, of going from tension to release, yep. you know, some people don't, they're disassociated from their body. So that even just like, this is how you might be living mm-hmm. 99% of the time. Can we get you to, right. Even just a little bit. Right. You right. Know? Yeah. So starting a therapy session like that. And Mm -hmm. then, so to your point, um, in a therapy session, let's say I'm with a child who is becoming flooded, triggered. um, Are you saying I should just pause and kind of regulate? That's that co-regulation. Or do I say I'm going like, I know you said not to use the words, but would I say I'm going to take a few breaths? I'm feeling a little. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's modeling. Um, Mm -hmm. You can do it either way. Um, You can say, you know what, I'm I'm feeling a little tense right now or um, I'm feeling frustrated. Um, So, you know, and I can tell because my heart's beating a little bit faster. Mm -hmm. My my shoulders are tight. So, um, you know, and I keep thinking about, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm just going to take a few breaths relax my shoulders so you're modeling for them Mm. and and who depending on the state they're in you know they they might be taking in some of that um and um and then 
at the same time, you're you are regulating yourself, you are calming yourself. So it's kind of twofold. It's mm-hmm. the modeling and it's the actual, you know, co-regulation piece. Right. Yeah, you're giving yourself the space to reconnect your nervous system and your thoughts and getting yourself back to homeostasis um, and and then proceeding forward. Um, and I, I think it's helpful to also say afterwards, say, okay, you know what? I'm feeling a little bit better mm-hmm. now. My body's feeling a little more relaxed. My heartbeat slowed down a little. My breathing is a little bit regular, you know, and, and that was because, you know, I noticed what was going on and, um, you know, I took some breaths and scanned my body or relaxed, whatever it is you did. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they see it from start to finish. Um, and I think that can be super helpful. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think it's really helpful for kids to see, oh, there's an adult who's frustrated and, Mm -hmm. and having these feelings and feeling that way. So adults feel this way too. Mm -hmm. I think it's really helpful, helpful for kids to understand what's happening physiologically Mm -hmm. and know that this is normal and can happen to anybody and it does happen to everybody. So I'm, it's not that I'm bad or there's something wrong with me. I'm just having the response that my body's supposed to have. Right. And, and that we, we have that ability to, to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh yeah. 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 And it makes it, it makes you as the, the teacher, the therapist, you know, the person who's guiding that moment seem more human mm. maybe to that other person, right? Like you may be, larger than life to you know your client um and then that brings you more into that humanistic like oh wait (laughs) they have problems too Mm. like you know and i think that's the thing like mindfulness isn't unicorns and rainbows it it does take work um and so just even those co-regulation modeling moments are planting seeds and maybe they pick up one or two seconds of that and then noticing like, you know, I, I have a private mindfulness client and I asked her today, like, are you noticing yourself like when you um, when you're being more mindful or when you're noticing your body in a particular way, you know, in in these scenarios where you're really stressed out? Um, and she said, yeah, small bites, yep. small bites. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does, you know, it's like learning a language lifting weights learning a new skill like it does take a little bit of time Mm -hmm. so even for us there are moments where i'm like i my mindfulness just went totally out the window there you know but that's part of the piece of awareness that okay i in hindsight i saw it and maybe next time i'll be able to respond better and by better i mean i'm not judging Mm -hmm. myself i'm just aware that i handled that not as well as I wanted to. Mm-hmm. So if I have to revisit it, hopefully that emotional intelligence shows back up. Right. Yeah. yeah. And planting seeds, that's important to remember mm-hmm. because just because we, we might work with kids and teach them these strategies, it's not like, okay, we've been doing this for a couple months now. Now you're out on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kids, their their prefrontal cortex isn't even fully developed till they're 25 like they're they're still going to need support they the support might you know might not be as intense as it was before you might you know it might just be some prompting and some you know modeling or just doing it with them but it it's not like we should expect them to just okay now you've got all these strategies so why aren't you using them you should be using them it shouldn't you know it should never be like that right like growth for the rest of our lives, hopefully. Right. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Like with everything. Great. So what are ACEs? So ACEs stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. So that is um, any trauma that a child might have experienced. Um, and uh, it can. it's a trauma that could potentially yeah. lead to chronic illness or behavioral issues. Um, and that might look like um, experiencing abuse or neglect or violence um, or witnessing violence, uh, whether it's in the home or in the community. Um, it can be um, anything that sort of creates an unstable environment for the child, like having a, um, a family member with a mental health issue or a substance abuse um, issue. 
Um, you know, and it, and it could be a one-time experience, you know, like a car accident is a traumatic experience, or it could be um, experience something that's experienced sort of chronically, like over time on a daily basis or, you know, a fairly regular basis. Um, and you can actually find out your, your ACEs score. There's a, there's a quiz. It's, um, I think it's still 10, it's sort of, uh, 10 criteria mm-hmm. or questions. And you can, um, I think you, if you go to CDC, the CDC website, you can take the quiz and it's, okay. it's interesting to learn your own ACEs score, but it, should also know that, you know, I think they say if you have a score of four or more, then you're at higher risk for, um, you know, behavioral issues or chronic illness, you know, early death. Um, But it's important to know that it's not, it's not, that's not a definite. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have um, some type of support as a child, some, some stable person, um, you know, with you or guiding you or supporting you, then, you know, there's a chance that you're not going to experience, you know, uh, chronic illness or have behavioral issues. And what's traumatic for me may not be traumatic for Mm -hmm. you. We all experience trauma a little bit differently and um, internalize it a little bit differently. So there's no absolutes when it comes to ACEs. Um, And also important to know, and I don't know if they're going to be... updating the criteria um but they don't take into consideration things like poverty or racism which is a huge impact and i think um they're gonna have to yeah i was thinking that like there isn't there's nothing about homelessness yeah or food insecurity Mm -hmm. um which we've seen totally rise um especially in this area as well Mm -hmm. so Right. Absolutely. And and so we'll put that uh, we'll link that in the show notes too to take that quiz. But also um, it brings up the idea of resilience, which is part of what mindfulness, Mm -hmm. what you're trying to teach is these tools for resilience um, to counter some of these um, ACEs. So can you talk a little bit about the school to prison pipeline? Yeah. Yeah. So um, policies and procedures that are in place um, like that that lead to students um, getting sort of pushed out of classrooms and into the juvenile or criminal justice system. I mean, that that's basically what it is. And a, a disproportionate number of black kids um, get suspended from school mm-hmm. and, you know, experience other school disciplinary um, action um, compared with white kids. Um, so there, there's actually it's very disturbing more than a few instances and you know the, now there's video of everything so um of of kids as young as five years old five six seven year olds getting arrested for behaviors in classrooms yeah again you know we just talked about mm-hmm. you know the the trauma responses and um you know to to i mean wh- that child i just that's a, an example of the school to prison pipeline mm-hmm. at five years old you're already labeled mm-hmm. and you know getting disciplined and i mean you have a record it, yeah. absolutely yeah. absolutely there's the zero tolerance yeah. policies in place in schools the black black and brown situations where biopic students are um it's overly critical uh discipline towards them and truancy um, like there's a harsher, uh, at times harsher truancy policies mm-hmm. um, that impact like, okay, now you're, you haven't been showing up for school. Um, you have a truancy officer, the officer is contacting you, coming to your house. And again, it just adds to what's already happening. Mm. Um, you know, if, if everyone in the home is struggling um, and you're not able to make it to school, um, even if you're uh, in a situation where kids are caregivers, right? And mm-hmm. they're getting younger siblings off to school, um, you know, and they're late to school. You know, that zero policy uh, in place for them, it doesn't bode well at mm-hmm. all. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and then, I mean, Sarah can speak to this a little bit more with the juvenile treatment, but just, you know, once you're in the system, <clears throat> it's very hard to get out of that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, in the juvenile treatment centers. Yeah, so. I mean, I've 
seen kids I was you know teaching for two three years and with the same kids you know there um there's not much turnaround um and I don't want to speak too much about it because I'm not sure exactly you know what the criteria are but yeah and and that's really that's kind of how Shanti Project got started at least our in-class mindfulness program because our founder Denise um, was teaching yoga and mindfulness at the juvenile justice center and you know got to know these kids and the question then becomes not not like what did you do to get in here mm-hmm. but what happened to you mm-hmm. that led you to this place and um then she started reading up on the school to prison pipeline and you know all right so what do we do <laughs> now that yeah. we have this information what do we do and that's how our in-class mindfulness program got started mm. And that goes back to, you know, what does it mean to be trauma sensitive, trauma informed? You're asking Mm -hmm. the question, um, what happened to what happened? Not, Mm -hmm. you know, why are you acting like this? What's your problem? (laughs) Exactly. Actually, what happened? Mm -hmm. Um, Taking that approach. Right. Yeah. So what are some trauma sensitive ways uh, we can ask children that we work with, ask them questions or um, have these conversations? I think it's it is just having a conversation. Um, obviously, if if a child is you know unconsolable, you're not going to have a conversation at that time. You're going to wait for that wave of emotion to pass. But if there if there is able to be a conversation, I think speaking in a way of um, you know maybe not asking directly what happened to you, but you know I'm here to listen. You know tell me how you're feeling if you can put it into words or, um, you know, how does it feel in your body? You know, I've, I've witnessed some, you know, investigations and, and times where, um, a child's really had to disclose difficult information Mm -hmm. and to an adult and, you know, the techniques that are used by, um, you know, prosecutors and and that kind of investigatory um, uh, conversation with a child, you know, they're looking for something, you know, because they know that there might be something there. But if you're in a therapy session or I'm in a classroom, just, hey, how's it going? Mm. You know, um, I feel like I'm very, I do really good with the middle school kids um, because I'm like, hey, how are you guys? Mm -hmm. What's happening? Mm -hmm. You know, and we can just start to wrap like that together Mm -hmm. um and they'll be like well this happened and you know but i'm feeling better and okay and so the next time i come it's it's rapport building Mm -hmm. also like Mm -hmm. you know they feel safe in with me and um i do care like i want to hear you know what's happening Mm -hmm. and in i do a lot of after school programs um and so that's our time like at the end of the day where we're doing mindfulness um we're doing that formal practice of mindfulness but then we're doing other things and it's always starting out with a question taking a breath in taking a breath out we'll do it with the the Hoberman sphere and okay tell me and I'll come up with a new question that day like um what's the most recent thing you've watched mm-hmm. was it good mm-hmm. did you like it you know and then they're able to kind of form a dialogue and the other kids are commenting around it. But we have a boundary of, you know, if you don't like something, notice when you want to make a comment about it. And can you notice that if I just wait, I don't have to say that comment mm. because not everyone feels the same way mm. about certain things. So we kind of like when I do that as a group, we set a boundary right away. And then we start to go into that kind of like, all right, tell me more. Like, how many siblings do you have? Who lives in your home? Um, And I think that's conversational wise, like a great way to like a child to get to know you. You start to know the child. And then from there, there's that rapport building. um, And you can eventually get to the, you know, what happened. Mm, Yeah, I like that. And I think that could work well, too, just one on one in a therapy office of um, it's almost like that invitation of, hey, if you notice some something happening in your body just pause and notice it and Mm -hmm. and then uh is that something you want to say or not and so i guess that teaching them teaching them that uh the pause right and how powerful that can be yeah that that awareness of i feel this way i might not be able to articulate it so clearly but I, i feel a particular way about a particular thing 
viscerally, this is happening in my physical body. Mm. You know, that as an, as a kid, I can't think any time that I really <laughs> noticed that. Right. You we know? didn't. Right. And a lot of adults, I'm sure we know, <laughs> work with too, are just completely disconnected from, you know, the physicality of it. Yeah. So, so the foundation here is you're creating this safe space mm-hmm. and you're also teaching them about self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Those are two really important key. And at, at the same time, just through questions, how was your day? What show do you like? You're getting to know them and just how they have conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the best way to to talk to them? So you're, you're kind of getting to know that as you're building this foundation. And then, you know, and then, you know, the more difficult topics, it's easier for them to talk about it. Um, they they feel validated, they feel listened to, mm. um, and, you know, they feel safe answering these questions. And you also get to know a little bit more about them and how, you know, maybe this, this kid does better um, if he's bouncing on a ball, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. maybe he can... Um, it's easier for him to talk if he's, you know, walking around the room and not even looking at me, Mm. you know, I can get, I can get more out of them. So you're learning about them, you know, while you're, you're building this foundation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it all, to me, it just keeps coming back to our work as the adults, as the providers or whatever our role is that the more embodied we can be with Mm -hmm. patience and tolerance and mindfulness and non-judgmental attitude, they, we know and Mm -hmm. the other person feels that and so yeah okay so kind of a big question how does mindfulness help treat trauma I don't know where you want to go with that and I'll throw that back out to the two of you yeah I'll I'll jump in real quick um I think in the in the onset of it um if you're disassociated with your body I think it can help you come back into your body in a way that in over time, it can be a nice slow process. Um, It doesn't need to be a fast process at all because we don't know what that trauma was. Um, I think about like I I work for Shanti with um, Turning Point of the Lehigh Valley and domestic violence. Yeah. And I work with their staff doing mindfulness Mm drop-ins and I think about them and the feedback that they give me as far as um like what works for them and what doesn't work um especially if there's something in in their history um that that this particular like just sitting and breathing um the breath like Sarah said earlier you know could be very traumatizing and some people have expressed that so figuring out, you know, other ways to drop into the body. Maybe it's just feeling your two feet on the ground or feeling your sit bones in the chair, even just feeling your shoulder blades, you know, these gentle touch points um, of your body on the, on the, with the chair Mm -hmm. um, and just sitting upright. So you're not laying down, the lights aren't dark, you know, it's, it's a safe space. Um, But just starting with uh, that reassociation, with the body um we want to go from there well, I was just yeah. gonna say and just um letting the the client or you know whoever you're working with know that they're in control mm-hmm. of the situation they can put the brakes on at any time mm-hmm. um and you know you'll respect that um we want to work within the window of tolerance are you yes. familiar with with that tell us yeah so the window (laughs) of tolerance is um it's like that space between hypo and hyper arousal Mm. um you know it's like the optimum space for that person and depending on the day i mean that window could be really tiny Mm -hmm. (laughs) um or it could be wider um but just helping the person understand their own window Mm. and you know when when it is that time that they need Mm -hmm. to say you know, put the brakes on or, or, or just take a moment or, um, yeah. So again, building that, those foundational, um, pieces, knowing what strategies work best for that person. Um, and, you know, letting them know that, that they have, that they have control Mm -hmm. and, um, how important it is to, um, have that self-awareness and just to you know like you were saying Melanie just to be aware of what's going on and then be able to come back there 
Yeah. And I like that the window of tolerance. And I think, you know, therapeutically and in an office one on one could be really helpful to articulate that this is, you know, and how can you how can the client get clear on this is my this is kind of my low level, the hypo Mm -hmm. is where Mm -hmm. this is my window. This is what it feels like the, the high and the low. And then there's that growth edge too, right, of kind of. Um, how do I bring it back into that window if I'm feeling mm-hmm. so I, I think we can all well you know probably it's easy to understand what hyper arousal is going mm-hmm. to look like then the hypo is that what you're talking about more of the sort of hiding shutting down mm-hmm. yeah okay. that flat yeah. affect dissociating yeah mm-hmm. yeah okay all right yeah. I think through inviting language you know giving giving choice so putting the ball into the other person's court like I'm just going to give you these guidelines, but you can choose where you want to take it and how far or, you know, with the window of tolerance, you know, how far or how short, you know, Mm. you want to take it. And so, you know, starting off a session by, you know, for doing formal mindfulness, you know, normally, you know, I hear a lot of like on the apps, they'll say, okay, close your eyes. And, you know, if you're in a group setting, it may not feel safe to close your eyes. And it may, like if we're on a session in Zoom, it may not feel comfortable to close your eyes. Um, So that inviting language of you have the option to close your eyes or take a soft gaze down, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and just using that as you go. You know, you take three rounds of breath. There's um, no right or wrong way to breathe. Mm. Um, You know, there's no judgment there and so i think that creates um the space for a person to be curious at least for a few seconds yeah exactly (laughs) yeah so what are some other therapeutic applications um talking about if the breath feels too intense um can you give you know a handful of other ways that kids especially but also adults maybe can drop into some mindfulness awareness focusing on sound Mm -hmm. You know, so we'll bring the chime in um, and just, you know, I'm going to tap the chime, see if you can follow the sound to the end. When it disappears for you, raise your hand. Mm-hmm. There's no right or wrong mm-hmm. there, right? Um, my particular favorite is moving the body. Mm. You know, maybe yoga is not your thing, but maybe dancing is your thing. Maybe bar is your thing if you're an adult maybe you know a kid running that's their thing or you know getting them into something physical where you know you can move that stuff that emotion that that build up um out of your nervous system out of your body and you know if you think about it like you're doing a very strenuous thing and then you your body feels fatigued and your mind feels quiet afterwards you know you've expelled all that all that gunk inside mm-hmm. of you so you know shaking singing um you know in your car like you know windows down it's a nice spring day you know turn the radio up and sing and mm-hmm. you know parents sing with your kids in the car mm-hmm. um yeah and that's actually literally uh calming you down it that activates the vagus nerve mm-hmm. which kicks in the the parasympathetic nervous system which is you know getting you back to that homeostasis mm-hmm. so yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mindful walking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I think there are misconceptions that with mindfulness, it's just sitting in a quiet room and meditating mm-hmm. and sort of emptying your mind. Um, and <laughs> yeah, that yeah. and you can meditate as a mindfulness practice, but there it's, it can be so much more dynamic than that. Yeah, even just talking, like having a friend who's a supportive friend, someone who's you know if things are going on in your life and it's it's a person that you feel like you can be open and share and the conversation is not going to spiral into darkness Mm. um that kind of supportive friend conversation can feel really good Mm -hmm. laughing um i'm i love to make jokes and make people laugh it makes us all feel good Mm -hmm. um uh the five sense check just checking in with all five of your senses i mean that's something you can do and almost no one will know that you're doing it Mm -hmm. right Right. Yeah. And so these movements, so whether it's, you know, getting some physical activity, intense physical activity, walking, anything, um, do you recommend pausing kind of like almost a mountain pose, just standing up and noticing afterwards or not necessarily? Or is that all like window of tolerance stuff? Um, 
No, I, I, I think you can start off. Um, it's a good way to start off. Um, just noticing how you feel building that self-awareness right now. You know, I'm so I'm, you know, it's really hard for me to just sit still right now. Anyone else noticing that or and then what kind of a conversation? What does that feel like? And so we're normalizing. It's OK to feel like you don't have to, you know, just you know, sit still and, and be perfect. Um, and then getting up and moving, you know, shaking it out or whatever it is that you do. And, um, and then right afterwards, um, noticing, okay, like my heart's beating faster and, you know, my body feels full of Mm -hmm. energy now. And, and yeah, so really noticing, um, what's going on. I mean, you don't have to do that, but, um, I think it's a great way to build self-awareness. Yeah. I get a lot of questions, um, after a, a mindfulness, like a formal mindfulness practice is over where we've gone through the breath, we've gone through the body scan and people will say, I feel so tired now mm. um, or I feel tired, but I feel alert. Mm. And, you know, that's a great observation mm-hmm. of yourself and the duality of being able to feel those two things mm. at once. Um, that, yeah, my brain feels alert, but like physically I feel, you know, tired. But is it the difference between tired or are you just really relaxed? And you haven't been really relaxed mm-hmm. in a while yeah. in your body. Um, so I think getting that feedback at the end from yourself yeah, okay, is valuable. So when it comes to therapists introducing some mindfulness to working with kids or adults for that matter, but let's say maybe with kids, how might they introduce it in a way that they get some buy-in to try it out? I, I think... If you want to, if you want to introduce it, you should be doing it yourself. Like you should be able to embody what you're wanting to share Mm. Um, because kids can see right through (laughs) us also. Uh Um, So I think, you know, in in the onset, like for if you're brand new to mindfulness um, as a therapist or as an educator, um, start small for yourself, you know, start these practices, see what's working for you, see what lands for you, expand out. And, and then once you feel like you're able to convey that, then give it a try. Mm. And in that just starts small, right? Like, you know, for the kids in the schools, like we start out with like, um, the chime, just listening. Um, and then we just try and take a mindful minute and just see in that minute, you know, what happens. And a mindful minute means what exactly? So in a mindful minute, you're, um, again, we're coming back to giving them choices as what to, how to spend that minute. Um, And, you know, you can just focus on your breath. Um, We call it anchors. Your anchor can be your breath. Um, It can be feeling your feet on the floor, just noticing what's happening with your feet. Um, It can be listening to just the sounds in the room that you're in and maybe, you know, expanding to outside uh, the room. Um, So give them an anchor and say, just, you know, do your best to um, just focus on that one thing. Mm -hmm. We're going to, you know, for one minute and um, we might use a sand timer. So that's another thing they can just, you know, look at, um, their anger can just be looking at the sand running through the timer. Um, so do your best to focus on that one thing. Your mind is going to wander because you're a human. And when it does just come back to that anchor, it might, you might do that 17 times. Mm-hmm. Um, you might do it three times. Um, it really doesn't matter. Um, and then we just, we just sit. And if, there are some noises or fidgeting that's okay you know we're not looking for perfection and then when that minute is up um i'll just ask okay what did you notice or how did that feel how do you feel right now mm-hmm. um and we can get some usually some really good answers mm-hmm. some really thoughtful answers and that's where we, you might hear something like well i realized you know i feel really tired but i'm i'm also in a really good mood or mm-hmm. Um, you know, they might just want to share all the things that they heard because they were focusing on listening. Um, but what it comes down to is we're just training the brain to focus a little bit better and, and you know, to be in the present moment. Mm. Okay. So any other therapeutic applications or um, some practical tools for kids that you would recommend? Um, well, you know, depending on the age, you know, we'll use different um, to get kids – 
um, practicing breathing, we'll come up with fun breaths. Like I mentioned bunny breath and, you know, there's hot chocolate breath and, and, um, you know, there's, there's ton lion breath, pretty much anything yeah. <laughs> as a breath and, <laughs> you know, fingered breathing. Yeah. Yeah. Getting the kids want to, you know, they'll make up their own breaths. Mm-hmm. And what that is doing is just getting them excited about breathing. Mm-hmm. But, um, I think it's really, really important to teach them about their brains and, and what mm-hmm. exactly is happening when I feel overwhelmed, you know, this is what's happening in my brain and I have the power to you know get that back under control um you know it doesn't mean the feeling is going to vanish it just means that i'm um better equipped now to respond to it rather than you know react and maybe get in trouble or hurt somebody or um and it's also really important to teach kids about their feelings Mm -hmm. and um you know as little as three four years old we're just talking about the real basic feelings just happy sad you know surprised scared Mm -hmm. angry and you know what those feelings might look like um what our bodies doing when we're having those feelings and then you know as the kids get older we can have um more uh, conversations about, you know, different kinds of feelings and where they come from, but really important for kids to understand that, um, to name the feeling that they're experiencing, you know, that Dan Siegel, name it to tame it, mm-hmm. um, and and take a breath, you know, you're just creating space for mindfulness to come in and, and you know, you got this. So just empowering kids, super important. That's the word I was gonna use and I yeah. love it. Yeah, yes. yeah, absolutely. I like the empowering, mm-hmm. right? Like if we're in trauma response, we feel very disempowered. Mm-hmm. So how do we put the ball back into their court so that they feel like they can stand up and say, okay, I feel like this today. And the recognition, like I think for kids is that you can have multiple feelings at once mm-hmm. and that can be really confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, and neither is, is better than the other or good or bad. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, the naming it to tame it is so valuable. Yeah, that's an important point that mm-hmm. just because you're angry doesn't mean you you are bad. Yep. That feeling might be unpleasant, but it's not a reflection on who you are. I mean, so many times I'll ask kids, you know, is it okay to be angry? And, and they say, no, 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 it isn't. And I'm, so that's the lesson we have to teach them. No matter what feeling you're feeling, that's just a feeling that's, you know, it's not who you are. Um, it's just a feeling that's that you're having and it's temporary and it's okay. And we all feel that way. Right. Uh, you know, same with your thoughts. Yep. Yeah. The validation of feelings mm-hmm. also, um, I think is, you know, your feeling is valid and, and I'm not going to try and take that away from you. Right. And either. how empowering to allow them to learn how to tolerate their emotions too. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is because as so many adults are just terrified of feeling what they've are feeling um as we know and so mm-hmm. to teach that to kids is just amazing so yeah and, and another misconception about mindfulness is that we need to be happy all the time yes. but the reality is if you're angry feel it where do you feel it mm-hmm. you know i feel it i feel it in my chest i feel it in you know my hands or my jaw and um and just that stepping back away from it and you know with that that curiosity of of this is what it feels like um you know th- right there you're creating space and you're just being mindful of that feeling and it you know it gets a little less intense and um with that self-awareness you start to understand that you know it's everything is temporary mm-hmm. you know the thoughts the feelings the good and the bad mm-hmm. they come and go and within that then comes the resilience piece of it mm-hmm. that oh, if if I felt this feeling and if I just sat with it for a moment, it feels very strong, feels like a gigantic wave right now, but eventually it's going to slowly dissipate and then and then it's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I can move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you're just learning emotional resilience mm-hmm. right there. No one's forcing you to do that. You're doing that on your own right and it goes that goes back to the empowerment piece of things yes which yeah. brings us back to planting seeds and mm-hmm. you know that these tools for the rest of their lives which is amazing so thank you both yeah. so much for being here mm-hmm. and we will uh post a lot of these resources in the show notes i mean i think also we need to really be clear and i'll put some in there about 
therapists who how how they can get started with their mm-hmm. own practice, like mm-hmm. you mentioned, that's so important, and then how they can layer on bringing it into their offices and as mm-hmm. mental health professionals. So how can listeners find more about uh, Shanti Project? Yeah, so you can go to shantiproject.org. Um, Shanti Project has a great resource library. We have a YouTube page. Um, We have a SoundCloud with recorded formal mindfulness practices. Um, Some of them are five minutes. Some of them are 20 minutes. Uh, We have an entire uh, curriculum. Do you want to speak about the curriculum that's online? Um, Yeah, we actually have a couple series. One is, um, it's, what is it called? Well, we have a mindfulness for families. Yep. Um, and there, it's a series of videos, um, different um, guided. There's a movement. I yep. think Melanie, yep. you there's teach a bunch some of yoga. Um, there's just guided meditations, um, things you can do as a family, things parents can do with their kids. Um, and then we have a series that was created right after um, right after the pandemic began and quarantine, you know, schools shut down. Um, and it's just different. It's it can be for teachers or parents, um, to, for anyone, really. Um, I had a friend who's a therapist who used it with a client. Um, and it's just a, a series of, um, I think, six short mindfulness videos. There's a movement component that goes along with each of them and um there's also uh, some of them have a little like mindful craft that you can do so that fantastic resource and i also i want to note that some of the videos um are in spanish Mm, yes and the mindfulness for families yeah Yeah. great yeah great all right thank you both so much for being here today thanks thank you If you listen to the podcast and you would like to obtain continuing education credit hours from NBCC, please check out our website at therapeuticperspective.com. You will first need to click on the show that you just listened to, then the take this course button. From there, you will complete the payment process and attest that you listen to the show in its entirety. After the payment is processed, you will take a 10 question quiz followed by an evaluation so that we can better serve you. After these steps are complete, you will be given your certificate, which can be printed or stored on your therapeuticperspective.com account. If you need any help or support in the process, please email us at therapeuticperspectivepodcast at gmail.com.